In the rapidly evolving digital landscape, the ownership economy presents an exciting new frontier for content creators and business owners alike. This concept flips the traditional model on its head, allowing creators and entrepreneurs to retain ownership and control over their digital footprint, while also providing a fair value exchange with an audience or customer base. This also addresses the risk of building a business that relies too heavily on centralized incumbents like Facebook or Twitter, who at a whim can squeeze you out, deplatform, or retain your core value. That core value is the network that you've worked hard to build. If the risks of relying on centralized platforms are not a priority for you, the features and the functionality that are coming in the next wave of the social internet will be. Early adopters will gain a massive competitive advantage. Being an early adopter on the next big social app is a promise we've all heard before. Many of us are sick of signing up for yet another game changer. But what I'm looking at now is not just a shiny new app, but an ecosystem where participation earns you transparent and portable credibility across the entire network. That means that whatever apps become the winners in that ecosystem, you won't be starting from scratch if you decide to move to another app. Imagine you'd built up 100,000 followers on Twitter, but they changed their algorithms, so your reach was nothing like it used to be. Or the features no longer really suited your content. Sounds familiar, right? You find the next app that fixes all those issues, but you'll just start from scratch with zero audience. Pay attention. This will be the last time you have to start from scratch again. This is not the equivalent of setting up a static web page back in 1996. It's the equivalent of adding e-commerce to your business before the market got overcrowded, or being an early creator on Instagram who had a chance to stand out and grow exponentially over time, all without being rugged. As a content creator, you don't have to be reliant on ad revenue or platform-based monetization. By leveraging a new era of decentralized networks, creators can monetize work in novel ways and build sustainable value without being tied to one platform. The network you build is portable and the content you create is published to distributed storage that no single entity owns. But that already exists, doesn't it? I mean, email lists can be exported and moved between newsletter services because the open protocol of SMTP, and I can move my website to a new host because of DNS for domain names. RSS provides the same for blogs. And like vinyl records, podcasts have made a bit of a comeback through RSS in an almost analog fashion. Yes, this is all true to some extent. Along with the foundations of the open internet itself, these protocols have remained relatively true to their original purpose. There is also value in the economy of scale that's provided by these large networks like Twitter. But value at what cost? Larger platforms come with the promise of greater reach by tapping into their massive user base, but it's not that simple. The omnipotent algorithms that chew us up and spit out a deluge of shallow SEO-driven content, they're created to growth hack the system. And I know, I've been there and I've done that myself, and I still catch myself dipping my toes in that murky water. 
There's no avoiding the algorithmic game if you want to remain competitive, as a business in particular. But as an individual, I'm driven to experiment, to test alternatives that respect the early intentions of the internet. Let's just play on protocols designed to spawn what may become the future norm. Chris Dixon says, what the smartest people do in the weekends is what everyone will be doing during the week in 10 years. You don't need to be inventing the next big thing, just make time to try new things. The internet was founded by researchers with a vision for an open system that created a level playing field for everyone. Protocols like SMTP for email and HTTP for the web further underscore the spirit of openness, promoting a free exchange of information and ideas. This is what the internet was founded upon. It's what has been commonly referred to as the read era of the internet, where information was typically one way. A bunch of online directories and catalogues you could read without any real engagement. I still remember though that exciting feeling the first time in 1996 that I heard a dial-up modem connecting me to information from around the world. The second evolution of the internet known as Web2 is where the economics of well-funded corporate entities began to consolidate ownership. By providing services for free at the expense of being tied to their platform. Before YouTube, you could pay for video hosting at a premium or set up your own media server, but streaming was barely usable. These networks were a natural evolution though, which brought about innovation. They not only consolidated content, hosting and delivery, but the ability for people to connect and find each other beyond email. It started with chat clients like ICQ, MSN Messenger, and MySpace was an iteration of blogging for the masses. And then, of course, Facebook took hold. User-generated content and self-publishing proliferated, shaping society in ways we hadn't seen since the introduction of the printing press. This era is dubbed the read-write phase of the internet. We could now create content and be interactive. I mean, I remember back in 2002 when I was a web designer in Scotland, interactive was the default add-on term for web design companies. I worked for a company called Morpheus Interactive, designing the UK's first ever pay-to-play multiplayer online game, which used a premium rate dial-up to reconnect your modem for gated access and micropayment charges, which would give you game credits. How far we've come. Uh, for further history on the internet, I would highly recommend reading Chris Dixon's uh, book called Read, Write, Own. It just sums it up perfectly, not to mention the future of the ownership economy. I'd highly recommend you grab a copy. But what is the own in his book title? Welcome to Web3, or is it still 2.75? Debatable. The third phase we're entering now is where we take back ownership of our digital lives. The move to decentralized networks is becoming undeniably mainstream. Blockchain networks are still at an equivalent stage to where the internet was, at least in terms of adoption, back in the mid to late 2000s. That's not to be confused with development or UX and infrastructure, which has come forward in leaps and bounds as developers and designers shifted to Web3 during the bull market like 2021. Some great examples of this I'll come to shortly. 
While it's not apples for apples to compare, the most important crossover is how many of those developers stayed through the bear market and continued building, and how many VC firms stayed in touch even if their funding dried up amidst broader macro constraints. They know the tipping point is upon us, and they're eagerly positioning themselves, not for the short-term wins we see in speculative crypto culture, but for the long-term investment in a cultural phenomenon. I could talk forever on this, and I will, but right now I want to pivot back to what I've discovered and why you need to seriously consider where you publish your content as individuals or business entities going forward. I started Read, Write, Execute, my blog and newsletter last year as a way to synthesize my experience in marketing and brand building over some 25 years, along with my deep interest in Web3, blockchain and crypto since as far back as 2014. My first instinct was to build my website, newsletter and blog on a well-established Web2 platform based on recommendations of other content creators who found success by doing that, but to then replicate it in my own way. Even in Web2 though, not one platform does everything that you want, so I landed on a combination of Kartra for my main website and newsletter, while building a series of course content in the background, which is where Kartra really stands out. Kartra doesn't manage blogging so well though, so I recently started a trial of drop-in blog, which integrates seamlessly with Kartra through embedding, and I love its live SEO ranking as you write your articles. The downside is that for a relatively new content creator like myself, without a core revenue stream to speak of yet, this combo is not cheap. To embed on Kartra, you need to upgrade to the growth plan, which is over $200 a month. But shout out to the founder of Dropin Blog, actually. After I replied to his personal welcome and said much the same, he applied a 25% discount to my plan for the first year. But I won't be taking it, and I'll tell you why shortly. The alternative is WordPress, which I've used many times as a web developer over the years, but I know too well how much time is required to piece together the different plugins and add-ons to get it working the way that I want it. The challenge for me personally is that I'm time poor with family, kids and paid work. We always end up paying for convenience, which is what I've ended up doing. So the more I rack up the subscription fees to these services, the more I question what am I getting for it. Not only short term, but long term as well. If you want to build a sustainable business, you really need to build value into your core product from the ground up. You have to build it yourself. There's always a case for short term gain building apps on top of existing corporate networks, but you have to know when to take profit and exit because it comes with what investors call platform risk. In reality, building everything yourself as a one-person business is just not feasible for most of us. So what's the next best thing? To build long-term value from the content you publish to the business solutions that you provide. But let's first define long-term value. The ownership economy is simply about owning the value you build. You need to own the flywheel that generates growth for your brand. Content creation is not just for individuals though, it's for any brand, big or small. It needs to be more than an afterthought tacked onto a marketing plan. It should be the hub through which messaging pillars reach your audience. 
Ultimately, it's for greater traction, efficiency, and momentum. So this flywheel is what generates value and enables brand growth, particularly if it fosters a sense of quality and trust. Imagine for a moment this flywheel is part of a bicycle. What happens if you're in a wheel where the spokes are the centralized channels to reach your audience, and some of those spokes begin to fail? At the very least, your ride gets a bit bumpy and you are forced to slow down. You lose traction with your audience and you risk the tires falling off completely. Now, imagine the gears on that bike are controlled by an algorithm which thinks it knows the best gear for your ride. The gears start changing randomly and you struggle to maintain speed and efficiency on the road. You're constantly pedaling harder to keep up that momentum. I hope you're wearing a helmet. So how do we build a reliable bike from interoperable parts in the blockchain stack? I've been exploring a range of content publishing platforms since 2021, which align with the principles of an ownership economy. But only recently did I find something that I think is perfectly positioned to bridge the gap between Web3 and the less crypto native masses. I tried Mirror.xyz back in 21-22 when I co-founded a DAO that's a blockchain-based business known as a decentralized autonomous organization. We developed GM Serial using Board Ape IP and we launched a chocolate range with on-chain monkeys as the, the IP imagery on the packaging. You can read the light paper on Mirror now, which I'll link in the article. But unfortunately, the bear market got the better of the project and we had to let it go. For simple publishing of content to the blockchain, Mirror was great, but aside from the ability to purchase an NFT token for ownership of articles, there wasn't much beyond a read-only functionality. You can think of Mirror as a blockchain version of Medium, but it predominantly caters at the moment to a crypto-native user base and its audience. And then I discovered Paragraph.xyz. Paragraph is a decentralized blogging platform that allows writers to publish their work in a censorship-resistant and user-owned environment. It's built on blockchain technology, ensuring that writers have true ownership of our content and the network of readers that we build. More than that, the content, data, and network you create is portable, usable, and interoperable with a growing ecosystem of powerful publishing protocols and tools. I'll explain more about what that actually means, but I can hear the first question that comes to mind. Do I need a censorship-resistant platform if I haven't been deplatformed or shadow banned somewhere else? I only plan to blog about my family's secret recipes. You wouldn't think so, but there's more to consider than that. You could just use Paragraph like Substack without any need for a crypto wallet at all. You can publish blog posts in a refreshingly clean interface and have those automatically sent to an existing email list that you have imported from somewhere else. You can set up gated content for free subscribers or paid memberships using Stripe for recurring credit card payments, so it's all cozy and familiar. But here's where it gets really interesting. You can also set up membership tiers and gated content for people who hold a defined amount of crypto or an NFT. Paragraph allows minting via energy-efficient and fast, cheap Layer 2 blockchains. Not only that, people with digital wallets who are subscribed to your content can now receive notifications to their wallet address every time you send out a newsletter. 
I really like that feature. To give you some perspective, the number of unique Ethereum addresses reached more than 250 million by February 2024, around the time I'm recording this video. And the number of unique addresses active on a given day has been reported at around 400,000 and it's growing fast. But this is the first time I've seen a publishing tool that balances the features and monetization options for mass market appeal without being fully blockchain centric. Paragraph blends these traditional and familiar options with the blockchain tech stack for entrepreneurs and creators who value their work and want to preserve those family recipes for generations to come. Imagine if there was a Twitter killer with the same appeal. Well, hold that thought. But first, I want to answer another question I heard from the back row. Where is the data being stored that makes it so censorship resistant and secure? So on Paragraph, all content is published to Rweave. Rweave is a decentralized storage network that offers permanent storage of data. It differs from traditional cloud storage services or even other blockchain-based storage solutions by its unique approach to data storage, ensuring that once data is uploaded, it remains accessible indefinitely and it's not hosted on a single entity's servers. Arweave addresses the problem of data preservation on the internet, making sure that information, websites, and applications are permanently recorded and accessible. It's used for various applications like decentralized website hosting, data archiving, and even storing the transaction history of other major blockchains. I've put more detailed points about Arweave into the article, but I won't go into them now. It's really worth learning though. Yeah, but nothing's really permanent, is it? Okay, so let's just be realistic for a moment. When we say permanent storage, we're talking about not waking up one day to find that a corporate entity has sold, gone bust, or been hacked. But even Arweave and blockchain aren't totally indestructible. I mean, what happens if a catastrophic event wipes out global internet? Well, I think we've got bigger problems if that happens. The real question I ask is this. If I knew I was gonna to die tomorrow, I know, a little morbid, where would I place my life's work for posterity? Assuming not all of us are in a position to store data in an underground, nuclear and meteor-proof storage facility in the North Pole, I'd choose Arweave. But what is the value of your work if it doesn't reach the right audience? Don't just value your work, value your network. While I post mainly on X, Twitter, and LinkedIn nowadays, I've begun building a parallel network on Web3 social platforms. Honestly, I've tried too many to mention over the last few years, with crypto Twitter degens clambering to grab our handles on whatever latest decentralized social app pops up. None have really clicked for me though. Until that is, I discovered Farcaster and its leading social app for desktop and mobile, Warpcast. On first impressions, it feels very similar to the feed experience of Twitter, with the depth information and engagement that you'd get from Reddit, all in a beautifully functional mobile-first interface. Farcaster is a decentralized protocol. This is important to note, so remember that protocols are the things like SMTP for email or DNS for domains. They are the foundational layer on which everything else is built. It's a protocol that any application or interface can be built around. It allows users to control their data and identities without being locked into a single platform. 
Warpcast is a client app built by the Farcaster team on this protocol. It leverages Farcaster to provide users with a social networking experience that is resilient and user-focused. Warpcast handles user identities, messages, and interactions, ensuring that the data is not controlled by any single entity and can be accessed across different platforms that use the Farcaster protocol. This dual development of the protocol and the client has allowed them to scale a very innovative and intuitive user experience, which acts as the perfect springboard for what others will also build from there, such as frames. Warpcast and Paragraph can now integrate using something launched by the Farcaster team known as Frames. Frames can be thought of as a protocol feature that allows for embedding, referencing or interacting with content across different platforms, such as directly into social posts called casts on Warpcast. At the time of this, Frames has only been alive for about one week, and already so many clever and playful uses have sprung up from pick-a-path games direct in social posts to practical applications that show the serious potential Frames is about to unlock. Imagine on Twitter if you could post a link to your blog and the automatic preview box that shows in your tweet is not just the usual preview image, title and description, but an active subscribe button too, which anyone could click on to be instantly subscribed to your blog without even leaving that social post. That now works on Warpcast to Paragraph. There are so many other use cases now being developed for frames. And to take a concept uh, originally written by Ethereum founder Vitalik Buterin uh, and recently aligned to frames by David of the Bankless podcast called Escape Velocity, I think frames have just enough simplicity and constraint for developers to get creative, but just enough expressivity to achieve that escape velocity, which essentially will propel Falcaster as a true Web2 social killer. Okay, so let's come back up for air, because we could dive really deep if we wanted to. So what does all this actually mean in practice? For me, it's a small overhaul, and I want to take you with me. It's a chance to reevaluate priorities and to run content in tandem, at least for now, with some of the existing Web2 technology stack, i.e. Twitter, LinkedIn, or in my case, Kartra, for the courses I'm building. I would suggest the same for any existing business or personal brand. Keep those social networks you've built. Just stop relying on them. Learn these new platforms, and when you're comfortable, begin inviting your audience to join you here as well. You'll find the most valuable customers are actually the ones who follow your lead. They're typically the early adopters who will amplify your messages. Hone in on this and take advantage of the early adopter narrative. Work the value proposition of long-term thinking as a competitive advantage into your own messaging pillars. Right. That's a lot to take in, so let's just review all of this and then finish off with some action points that you can take away and start to execute on. We've touched on the ins and outs of the ownership economy, and hopefully you can see a future where we, the creators and entrepreneurs, truly own and control our digital landscape. We've peeked into the world of Web3, exploring how platforms like Paragraph and protocols like Arweave are changing the game for content creation and storage. 
We've also looked at the power of building a resilient network with tools like Warpcast on Farcaster. Now let's get the ball rolling and some clear action steps. Start by exploring platforms like Paragraph.xyz. It's where the magic of blogging meets the solidity of blockchain. Dive into decentralized social platforms like Warpcast on Farcaster. It's not just an alternative to Web2 Social, it's the future of social network ownership. Integrate these Web3 platforms into your current content strategy. It's not just about a complete overhaul, but just smart additions, which I'm only recommending because they're technically accessible to anyone. Just take it one step at a time. This is a great starting point if you're not crypto native. This is about evolving your strategy, not flipping everything on its head overnight. But beware of that rabbit hole, Alice. It's a trip. <laughs>